Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Hilde Gottlieb. She is a social change theorist, an asker of powerful questions, and an advocate for social movements to create meaningful systems change. In her role as co-founder of The Living Experiment at Creating the Future, and as an in-demand speaker at live events and online gatherings, Hilde is helping people reimagine and redefine the systems they encounter every day, all by changing the questions they ask. Now grab a notebook and be prepared to change your thinking. This is a powerful episode. I'm Judy Selmans. Welcome to Thrivable Biz, where we talk all things to make your business thrive. Welcome to the Thrivable Biz stage, Hildy. It is wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much. I am really looking forward to this conversation. You know, but um, of course, we started chatting a couple of months ago now, and you had just started your sabbatical. So, so congratulations on one on on getting through that because I think you've what you've finished that, and, and I'd love to know the process of that. It you know it's it is a gift that I am very fortunate to be able to give myself almost every year. Uh, I started out maybe about ten years ago. Um, and I'd give myself four weeks. And I realized, oh, four weeks, by the time the first week is over, you're barely decompressed out of the yeah. day. And so I gave myself two months. And then finally, um, uh, on, on this half of the world, June, July, and August is when everything sort of slows down for summer. And so uh, I started taking June, July, and August as often as I can. I didn't do it uh, last year. It gives me permission to not have to meet everybody else's expectations, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. It's a really wonderful gift to be able to put an autoresponder on your email that says, if it's urgent, get hold of me. But I need some time to think and to write and to create. And so, yeah, it yeah. was it was a good one. Um, interestingly, Judy, this year, and I'm pretty sure that uh, both you and your listeners will not be surprised at this. This year was very different than mm -hmm. than I've uh, um, experienced in the past because none of us realize the low sort of burning hum in the back of our minds of stress that is going on with all that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. And, and we just don't realize. And so, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, that first time, it took me clearly a week out of the four weeks to decompress. This time, it took me four weeks. Wow. And I was so grateful for the permission that I didn't really need to do it. Any expectations I was meeting were my own. Uh, and so I, I did uh, finish a wonderful article that was published in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. And and the rest, there was there was some planning work that got done, but the the gift of being able to say I can't be at my best if I'm and you don't even realize mm. what stress does to you. You don't realize you're not reacting well. You don't realize and and to be able to step back and have that time uh, to to rest and to heal because this year has been a <laughs> difficult one for you know it's everyone yeah for everybody and and yeah so that was. It, was interesting you say that actually Hildy because I you know we we we've been working from home for 3 decades and you know it's so we're used to it we you know it's not a difference for us and when lockdown happened of course 
it was like every day was normal, you know, right. although actually what we did love was the fact that there was no cars, no planes, it was, it was <laughs> quiet, which I love. But all that aside, I was surprised at the level of stress that we felt we were under. And it, and it wasn't till later and we started, you know, typical of us, analysing that and you go, I think we've just got to be kind to ourselves. That There was that, it, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain because you go, well, it's not that different. I'm still able to do business, et cetera. But there's that level of stress. So it's interesting that you found that even going yeah. into a sabbatical. Yeah, it's, it is. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing at Creating the Future is rooted in brain science and understanding what the brain does when we're under even just a low level of stress. It, it you, you may notice that the people around you, the people you're working with, are having trouble finding just regular everyday words. It, it's, mm. it's not even the, the, the big words or the, the convoluted words or the technical language or something we knew once and forgot. No, you, you can't remember just normal everyday words. And you, you wind up, you know, I, I wind up talking to my husband and saying, put the thing over on that other thing. And, you know, I've lost the word table. I mean, it's like, right. and, and, and those are the kinds of things where you start to realize, oh, this is having quite an impact. That's interesting. So I didn't realize that your word would uh, work with creating the future is, is re really analyzing the brain. That's quite fascinating in itself. So how, how, how did that come about? I mean, where did, where did you get to that stage, what your oh, studies my. took you there? Well, um, it's it's sort of a, a meandering path that has led to the work that we are doing right now. And the the short version is that we, after several different lives, <laughs> we've, yeah. um, I, I have been in the uh, I, I've worked for an elected official as a legislative aide. I have been in community organizing. I have been in the business world. I have owned a series of my own businesses, including a contracting firm, a commercial real estate firm, a plant nursery, which was wonderful. Wow. Um, I, I miss my plant nursery, I must say. Um, yeah. After all of that, wanting to have life really have the meaning where the work you're doing is making the world a better place. Yeah. And uh, my business partner at the time and now husband, um, we sort of went down a list of, of what we wanted uh, life to be like. And we started to consult to community organizations, uh, nonprofits, social enterprises, governments that were doing social change work, small businesses that were socially conscious. We didn't care who, who it was if yeah. they the world to be a better place we were consulting and what we found about five years into that work is that we were uh, i know i know many of your audience are, are business folks so you will understand this uh in in marketing the best marketing is if you don't have to market and all yeah. of your business is coming by word of mouth and we were at that point where, yeah. where we we were traveling all over North America. We were doing work in Mexico and the United States and in Canada and, and working by referral and by all uh, normal standards, we were mm. doing well, except we weren't seeing any change. And what we were seeing was that organizations were getting better at what they did, but what they did was not changing the world. It might've yeah. been feeding hungry people, 
but you, you suddenly look up and say, you know, it would be really nice to get a note from my food bank one year that says, this year we fed less people because fewer people were hungry. And instead we get letters every year that say we're feeding more and more and more people. And, and we started to see the disconnect. Well, what I know looking back now, 20 years after that epiphany is, is that what we started doing as consultants and we're, we're no longer consulting, but what we started doing as consultants was to change the questions we were asking of our clients. And fast forward uh, five years, seven years, we were no longer doing any of the consulting work the way, quote, normal nonprofit consultants do it. And we were seeing results. And our friends and our colleagues in consulting were saying, how are you getting those results? Because we're not able to get them. Yeah. And so we started teaching them initially uh, just, you know, hang out with us and we'll, we will download everything that we have, have learned uh, and made the decision that we really had something. It was, it was working so consistently. And the more we created a framework around it, and I'm happy to talk about that framework, mm. the more we created a framework around it, what we realized we were doing was creating a repeatable framework around the things that people already do that work well, but they think that it's just, well, that's Mary, she can do that, she's her. Um, no, Mary is actually doing things in a certain way. And if you break that down, it repeatably is possible. And so creating that framework, okay, so we see that things are consistently going in a productive uh, direction, in a creative direction, in uh, groups were walking into a room, not trusting each other and walking out of the room, figuring out how they could work together. All of these wonderful things were happening and they were happening consistently. That's the mm -hmm. point where you go from the trial and error of, oh, I'm a consultant, I'll just try a bunch of stuff. Yeah. To, uh, asking the question, and this gets to you, to your, a very roundabout answer to your question That's about right. science, um, is starting to ask, okay, why is this working consistently? What is this magic sauce that's in here that is working consistently? And what we found is that there's a, a whole bunch of science, and it's not just brain science, but a lot of it is brain science, uh, around, uh, behind why this was working. And we had, by trial and error, you know, you, you go in the direction where things are uh, becoming more productive, more trusting, more abundant. And you, you issue the, the things that are making people distrust each other or feel uncomfortable. And the more you walk in that direction, you don't realize that what you're doing is you're walking in the direction of how our brains are calmest, happiest, most productive, most creative. And so it just led to studying a, a whole lot of different sciences. There's, there's, there's math in what we do. There's economics in what we do. There's um, you know, physics, quite honestly, because yeah. much of it is around causality, uh, but, but a big, huge piece of it because, you know, we're humans doing the work. Yeah. Therefore, it makes perfect sense that it would be our brains that make the difference. I, I love what you talk about in, in, um, in, you know, your living experiment and and the way to make our world more humane for for listeners who have listened to a few of my episodes now you they'll get they'll understand that I'm a bit obsessed about the need for us to become more human uh, and and so I you know I'd love to know a bit more from your perspective 
what that is. Well, more human. Uh, and, and I'm smiling because yeah. we talk about that as well. And uh, in my book, The Pollyanna Principles, which I, I wrote, it was once we decided that we had something that was working, we knew that we needed to share it with as many people as possible. And uh, which sort of goes against the consultant's code, which is, oh, we know how to do this. We should stay, you know, keep it to ourselves and, and make lots of money. And uh, I am a uh, firm believer that we have a very, very short life. And uh, the most important thing that we can do is make sure that we are giving what we have to the world. We, we inherited these gifts. They're not just ours. We inherited them and it's ours to give, to pay that forward. And yeah. One of the things that in writing that book, I realized, and this was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, was that the things, the traits that we talk about when we say that's just human nature are never nice. You know, when, we, when, when, when somebody says, well, you know, that's just human nature, we're talking about greed or fear or, or hoarding resources or those, those sorts of things. And, and the, the aha was, you know what? We are one among many animals on this planet and almost all animals that we encounter in our own day to day experience greed and hoarding and fear yeah. and, and all and to suddenly realize oh wow all those things that we blame on quote human nature are actually all of the traits that we share with the animal world they're yeah. all of the things that happen when our brains are in reactivity and that the things that are different about being human so getting to your question of what does it mean to be human the the traits that separate us from the rest of the animal kingdom our, our ability to envision a future that's different than our past, uh, our yeah. ability to envision that we are somehow connected to 7 billion people, the vast majority of whom we will never see, but we know that we're connected to them. And there's, there's, there's a long list of the traits that we humans have that while some animals may have one or two of those, we have all of them. So when I think about what it means to be human, and so I'm, I'm, I, I wish that you could see the smile I have on my face <laughs> at your question, because what it means to be human is that, is all of those traits that we're the only ones that have it. Yeah, I, and, and I think what I find, though, in a lot of if, um, in, in business, obviously, because you know, most of our listeners that are, either want to be in business or they are, it's, it's that, that we we get in business for our own reasons and we forget that that who we're doing business with are human and <laughs> and that we have to relate to those people there seems to be this disconnect this i'm i'm running the show you're the customer i don't know i, I just i feel like we've we've been we've missed that link somewhere well you know it is it is a big piece judy of why creating the future's mission is what it is and we formed Creating the Future in 20, I guess 2011 was when we first really started meeting. Uh, and it, it is a, a not-for-profit in the, in the, uh, based mm -hmm. in the U.S., uh, working globally, teaching people all over the world. We've actually uh, done immersion courses in New Zealand about 10 years ago with, with a group, um, awesome. spent some time in, in Australia. And uh, the... The, the mission of creating the future is systems change 
so that the systems we all encounter every day are bringing out the best in us. And the reason we focus on systems, again, rooted in brain science, individuals will go where the systems lead them because our brains crave that, that, that predictability. We, it's why you'll see, you, you go into a business and, uh, and you'll, add, you'll start your inquiry and you'll start asking, well, what's going on and what's not working, what is working. And invariably, you'll hear something about, well, the system, you know, that's just the system. We can't fight the system. That's just the way it is. And, and you start to, to realize, oh, wow, okay, we're going along with this system, even though we know it's not working. Mm. And and we and so the realization that we'll fit and and systems are really it just you know this is how we do things. So it could be the criminal justice system, it could be cultural systems, uh, it could be systems that we create within our own workplaces, our own businesses, mm. our own families. And when you start to look at the systems under which we operate in a capitalist society we have this emphasis on individual success. We have this emphasis rooted in scarcity, this emphasis rooted in, in a degree of reactivity and mistrust. Um, we, we call it responding to customer need, but in fact, we're reacting to customer need. And so much of, you know, I was, I was just chatting with someone yesterday who was talking about the fact that when you look at product marketing, how often, you know, think about deodorant, think about teeth whitening. Mm. How, how often is that rooted in making somebody feel scared that, oh my gosh, do I smell? Are my teeth not yeah. white enough? And, and so, so much of, of the systems, again, that we operate under guide us to those sorts of, well, I have to go it alone reaction rather than those, those wonderful commonalities that we all have. Systems developed in some ways, the type of systems you're talking about, are they developed in some ways because of beliefs, do you think? Is that in, part, in part. I what you just you just asked me a question. Sorry. I made my brain go to three different places. So, <laughs> so now I'm glad you couldn't see that because you know, <laughs> oh my goodness, where, where do I go with this? Sorry, I do tend to throw out the odd curly. I love it. I love it. I love it. What are the things in, in realizing? So you, you look at the systems and you go, okay, so where did I learn all of these beliefs and assumptions that I have and, mm. and, and the systems that I operate under? Well, I learned them from my parents. I learned them mm. from my workplace. And where did they learn them? Well, they learned them from their parents and from their workplace and their environment and their neighbors. And where did they? And you go back and you start going back. Well, where did they learn them? Where did, and the, the epiphany was that if we go back to the beginning of humankind, 50 to 100,000 years ago, humans as we know them, and we look at what reality was like then, reality was a matter of day-to-day -day survival. It was a matter of reacting to circumstances, whether that was an abundance of food or a lack of food. It was a reality of scarcity. If you mm -hmm. did not find the food, then you starved. So you would work together. We have this wonderful part of our brains that is actually wired to work together, but we also have a part of our brains that is wired to, uh, to recognize someone who's not from our tribe. And so, you know, go back again, a hundred thousand years, 
we we trusted the people in our tribe, but don't trust those guys over there because if we've got food and they don't, they're going to take it. And so, again, because of the way that that humans have evolved, we're not stronger than other animals. We're not faster. We don't have sharper teeth. What we have is the ability to tell stories and hand them down. And yeah. so we would tell stories of this is who you can trust. This is who you can't trust. Uh, we would tell stories about the scarcity and how you find food and how you react under certain circumstances. And that's what we've handed down. And so even though we no longer are living in any of those circumstances, at least certainly in the developed world, we still are, are, are carrying those stories with us. And, and those stories become the beliefs and assumptions that we see just as reality. So those assumptions and stories and beliefs are what color our actions. We are, our actions definitely create our results, but the thing that creates our actions is all of those beliefs and assumptions. And when you realize how many of those assumptions come from a day that is nothing like our time right now, and that, that's when you, you go, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can adapt. Yeah, you know, actually, I, I, I'm, wow, that's a big subject. We could sit and just talk about that, I have no doubt, for quite a long time. But I'm, I'm going to flash back just to, um, you know, your conversation you actually had with someone yesterday about marketing a product. And right. because it's, it's common, you, you can read any marketing blog and they talk about scarcity and you know hitting on that emotional nerve of a potential customer so if we can't do that how, how do we I mean what what sort of my mindset do we have to have change to how do we be different to that well let me let me sort of pivot a little bit and talk about catalytic thinking and see where marketing falls into that okay uh, the framework that came out of both the research, the experimenting, and in particular, the more we taught what we were doing uh, as consultants, and then after just we're teaching it as, as what creates social change, what creates social movements, when we see success happening, what is going on in those places, uh, we learned from our students because they were going out, taking it out into the world and bringing back stories. and. The framework of catalytic thinking really hones any thought process, whether you are planning a marketing plan, whether you are planning a, um, a dinner party, whether you are planning a community effort. It hones it down into really three core questions. The first set of questions is around where we aim. Are we aiming at reacting at what's wrong or are we aiming at creating what's possible? And we are so used to, um, and it's not just the business world, it's everywhere. We are mm -hmm. so used to the question of what is the problem and how will we solve it? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we are so used to, uh, in, in, in marketing, we look at where are the pain points? We're, we're yep. so used to reacting the, the freedom and the creativity that comes up when we talk about what is the future we want to see and what will it take to create that? The, the second set of questions are around how we feel about each other. So if we're going to aim at that future, 
obviously people are going to need to create that future. How do we feel about each other? And, you know, we, we talked a little bit before about, about not trusting the other tribes. Yep. I, I frequently, when I'm keynoting, and I do a lot of keynoting, I'll look out at an audience and, and I'll ask them, how many of you have spent an entire day trying to find somebody because you found their wallet and you want to return it to them? And, and, you know, most of the audience raises their hand. We've all done that. We found somebody's wallet and we know, oh my gosh, they're going to be frantic. I must get this to them. You know, a, a couple of months ago, my husband found a wallet and uh, wound up tracking down this person. It took him three hours. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we've all sort of done that. And then I asked the question, okay, um, if you lost your wallet, what's the first thing you'd think? And you'd go, oh boy, they're stealing the money. The cash will be gone. They're using the credit cards. I need to cancel my credit cards. And it's just such an interesting disconnect how we all assume, well, of course I would return the wallet, but that's just me. And no, most of us would return the wallet. And so again, it, the, the sets of questions that bring out the best in us are what are the questions around what does it take to trust each other? And, and what can we accomplish together that none of us can accomplish on our own? And it's interesting because this begins in our work was in the social change arena, but we've also run businesses and we've also advised people who are running businesses. And, and um, I'm, I'm jotting down a note to share with you a, a story um, a, a about where this comes into businesses. But, you know, how many business coalitions are there? How many networking groups are there where people understand there's things we can accomplish together that we can't yeah. accomplish on our own? And then the third set of questions is around resources. So we have where we're aiming, our purpose, we have people, and then we have questions around resources. And the resource, the resource questions we are so used to are things like, where's the money going to come from? And, and you know, it, you go down that rabbit hole with the million questions that come behind that. The question that leads to our, our better angels is a question around what resources do we have together that we can share and, and what does that make possible? So if you think about um, in, in the social change arena, the fact that not everybody, you know, let's use a very, very simple example, an after school program where after school they need to pick up kids at school and, and take them to the program. They need a van. And they need a van from the hours of three o'clock to five o'clock. And the first thought everybody has is, well, we need to find funding and go buy a van. Instead of asking who already has a van in town that may not be using it during those hours. Oh, you know what? Our church group only uses it on Sundays. They're not using it after school. We could. So it's those kinds of, of questions that lead to our coming together, our solving problems together, our thinking together, our exploring together. And, and so now shifting from that social change perspective to a business perspective, there's a wonderful example that I love. And in, in North America, at least, there is a company called Amy's Organic Foods. I don't know if, if they're in your neck of the woods. Uh, Similar they, things, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And Amy's began with a couple that had a baby 
they wanted to provide organic food for their baby. And they, so they started cooking and they said, well, you know, there's other families in our neighborhood. We, maybe we could all get together and, and cook organic meals. And they started to realize there was a market for this. And their daughter's name was Amy, which is why it's yeah. Amy Foods. Um, well, they started to grow and they started to grow. They had the recipes. They knew how to, how to produce the food. And it was awesome food. And by the way, it is really awesome food. Um, but what they did not know was how to package it because they started to grow and they started to have to ship things from one end of the continent to the other. So if you're on the East Coast shipping to the West Coast, how do we package to do that? We don't know that. We're, we're just a family that knows how to cook. And so they picked up the phone. And they called the largest provider of frozen foods, certainly in the U.S. and, and potentially globally, which is Swanson's Foods. Right. And they said, you know, we're this small company. We're going to be focusing on organic foods. Could you answer some questions that we have about how you package your foods and ship them? <laughs> and Swanson said, oh, we'll do you one better. Come down. Let us show you our plant and show you what we do. Wow. And Swanson became their advisor. We're so used to thinking that, yeah. that we can't do that. Mm -hmm. And how many, especially small businesses, start up, I wish I could call such and such. Mm -hmm. And we don't because, again, the systems tell us, oh, don't call them. They're just going to tell you where to go. Well, you yeah. know, the chances they may and they may not. And, and so we have these, these assumptions in our head about what reality is, which are really just stories we're telling ourselves that we believe are true. And, and so we can share. And we see so many times businesses that are sharing, you know, look at an executive suite of offices where you've got, uh, you know, seven, eight, 10 entrepreneurs in a hub, sharing space, sharing uh, computer time, sharing Wi-Fi, sharing, there, it, it is so possible when we start asking different questions. Yeah, I, I think on your website you call it collective enoughness, mm -hmm. which yeah, which is which is actually makes total sense. And and I can visualize so many examples of this in place in in everything actually in every single aspect of life. We 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 have these assumptions. It's really hard. How do you break the habit of having a belief, an assumption? Because that's really hard to break. You know, it's funny because early on, it's where our tagline for creating the future came from, which is change the questions, change the world. Love that. What we realized is, you know, I, I would hear, and, and it was funny, you'll appreciate this. We were actually in the middle, it was our early days, we were in the middle of a messaging process to try and figure out what is a tagline that actually captures what is our message. And I found myself in workshop after workshop where people would say exactly what, what you just said, which is, it's hard to change the way we think. It's hard to change assumptions. And my answer was repeatedly, it's not hard when you change the questions you're asking. And that was when we suddenly realized, oh, that's the message. Uh, if, if we change the questions we're asking, we don't have to change our assumptions. Our assumptions just change. It is so remarkable, and I have been doing this now for 20 years, and watching mindsets shift when we simply change the questions that we're asking. And again, one of the ahas that we had is that our assumptions are really just answers to questions 
we don't even realize we're asking. Mm -hmm. And so let me, let me give you a very simple example of that. Um, I can either assume the world is flat or I can assume the world is round. But the question that I'm really trying to answer is what's going to happen if I go out there? And, and so when we start to see our assumptions as answers to questions that are invisible, that we don't even know are there, we can make those questions visible. And by making them visible, we can actually work with them. We can, we can be intentional about the questions rather than having them invisibly guiding us and we don't even know it. That's really powerful, actually, Hildy. I, I, um, it, it, are, there, are there simple examples for, for us that we can, you know, if we come across something and we think instantly we, we've put a brick wall in front of us, what is an example of a question we should be asking ourselves? Oh, my dear. Sorry. I can, <laughs> because there's, there's many, many, many of them. It depends on the circumstance and what I yeah, can do. Okay. I, I will make myself a note to send you, and you can share this with your listeners if you like, uh, it is a, um, a, a PDF that's got some, some questions that are helpful. Um, okay. Some, and let me, let me, you had asked how this applies to marketing. I'll give you a marketing example <laughs> of, of how, and this was for ourselves actually at Creating the Future, for some of our classes, we have, uh, we have a range of classes from, from a deep dive into immersion, uh, which is, is once a week, a few hours online for several months, uh, down to you know, how-to blog posts and everything in between. And we have got some classes that are um, uh, sort of click and play. They're recorded. They've got worksheets and, and those, those sorts of things. They've got a uh, you know, maybe an hour or two of video and, and that's okay. kind of so we had a new one that came out and we were going to do the uh, the what we call a learning opportunities page, uh, which in, in most cases is called a sales page. But for us as an educational institution, we want to give people the opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. But we still have, you know, many decades of business marketing in our heads. And so while we were asking the questions of um, the catalytic thinking questions, uh, what, is, what is the end result we want to see and, and for whom, and that's the big piece, the end result and for whom, the first was obviously, well, for the people who would take the class. Okay, well, you know, what, what conditions need to be in place for them to want to take the class? And then we went back to that for whom question and we said, you know what, people are going to come to this page and we're going to guess that the vast majority of them are not going to take the class. That many of them will click and, and take the class and, and pay the, the tuition and take the class, but many of them will not. And as a social change organization, our goal is not to make a lot of money. Our goal is to spread a word and to spread this, this way of thinking and for people to, to know it and understand it. What do we want this page to make possible for them? Well, in, in product marketing, this sort of becomes that area of funnel of, of okay, mm. there's, there's people who aren't going to buy your $249, whatever it is. What primes them to maybe be ready to buy something else? 
or or to want something or to need something else or to maybe pick up the phone and say to you, you know what, I, I can't take that thing that's $249, but do you have something that's $49? And for you to go, oh yeah, we do. And it's it, it opens up the door. And what we wound up doing was creating little places on the page. It's not obvious at all, unless you're in that mindset. Mm. Little places on the page that say, would you like to learn more about this? And they can click and it entices them to want to learn deeper and take the class, but they also would learn something if they just went there. And, and so it, it is a change of mindset that happens of, oh, maybe our business, our work is not just about the people who are going to click and buy. Maybe our work is about educating the, the, the population about this thing that we have and why it's cool. And, and maybe they won't buy it from us. But I mean, look at Amazon. They, 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 they put out or, or look at, at any of the, the major stores online. They put out a breadth of things. While you're interested in this, you might also like that. Yeah. I'm looking through and I'm going, oh, yeah, but you know what? I could get that for either $100 cheaper or I could get six more uh, benefits if I buy this bigger one. You know, again, that scarcity mindset and we have to go it alone, it, it makes mm. us so fearful mm. of, of looking at the, well, what if they don't buy? Then I'm going to ignore them. Well, I feel ignored and I probably won't come back and buy from you. Yeah, it's actually quite profound because it's, and I know that it's so many of us in the sales process just have forgotten the reasons why in the end, haven't we? It, it's oh. all businesses appear to anyway. Oh. Well, I, and, and I'll give you a, a funny example. We, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sheltering in place, my husband and I, and uh, the, the most delightful thing we are doing is going out for many, many drives into the beautiful countryside around Tucson, Arizona. So when all of the travel restrictions and I urge all of you to just come visit Tucson because it is beautiful. <laughs> and so one of the places that we went one day was down around wine country and we're driving around and it's just beautiful. But all of the normal places you would stop to go to the bathroom are closed. So <laughs> the, the gas station is closed and, and the convenience store is closed. And so we stopped at one of the wineries. And, uh, you know, you sort of, you, you know, you're treading on, on delicate ground. You know, they probably don't want you just coming in and going to the bathroom. But we needed to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And so, you know, we took turns and, and, uh, and, my husband is talking to to the guy at the desk and then he went into the into the bathroom and, and I was talking and finally this guy looked at me with this evil eye and he said you do know our bathrooms are only for customers and we walked out and I looked at Dimitri and I said and you do know I will probably never be your customer <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's like, what is it hurting you to let me use the loo? And mm. it was just, it's, it's those simple, simple examples that if we treat people, it goes back to what you said so early on, Judy, if we treat people like humans, yeah, it is amazing how they respond. Well, and people remember that, you know, oh. that that's what people remember. One of, you know, one of my big bugbears is that, Oh, businesses often send out or communicate in fairly 
unpleasant terms actually after the transaction for example and and you know that's the lasting experience we have that's the lasting memory I just think we need to be a little bit kinder would and think before we we act and go would I really like to be treated like that I don't know we, we don't seem to remember that often <laughs> and and I think it's one of the beautiful lessons that we are seeing globally from the pandemic yeah, uh, I, I was I was talking with a colleague of mine uh, in Australia a couple of months ago, and he said, "You know, Hildy, in the olden days, like last year, <laughs> in the olden days, we would we would run into someone that we know, and we'd say, how are you going?' And they would say, "Good. How are you going?' And they'd say, I'd say, "Good," and we'd move on. He says, "Now we're asking, how are you going?' And we really want to know." Mm. And and the extent to which so many, uh, because uh, like you and, and your husband, uh, we've been working online for many, many years. Our work is global. And so we've been working on, on, online for many years out, out of the house. How many Zoom meetings are beginning now with how are you? How are you yeah. doing? How is your family? We've always, at Creating the Future, we have always done that. And, and actually, if anyone wants to watch or be part of any of our meetings, one of our ethoses, and, and we are an experiment, is that all of our strategy meetings at Creating the Future and all of our board meetings are open for anyone to not only watch but participate in. You can sit in the Zoom meeting with us, strategize, uh, be, be part of the conversation, and and they're all recorded and you can see them all online if you go to creatingthefuture.org. If you do that, what you will find regardless of what meeting is we start every single meeting with what's been exciting since we last saw you. Mm. And we take 10, 15 minutes to go around the room to, to be human with each other, to get to know each other. This ridiculous notion that it is a waste of time to do the quote, touchy feely stuff yeah. And that it is way more effective and efficient to just get down to business. But, you know, when, when things fall apart, nine times out of 10, it's because we don't trust each other. We don't know each other. We're not sharing information with each other. It's generally the people and not the thing. And, and understanding that, why wouldn't we spend the time to get to know each other and to feel comfortable with each other? I just, I love, I just love that attitude. I really, really do. That's, and are you, are you, I mean, I guess one can only be hopeful because we're still in the middle, middle of COVID, but um, I, I guess I am mildly hopeful that, that this will be a change that will embrace the fact that we're all connected with this. We're all going through our own level. Every single person on the globe is going through a level of, the stress associated with this pandemic. So do you think that will affect the way we move forward? I hope so. And, and it is one of the reasons why uh, I wrote the article that you saw in, in mm. Social Innovation Review. Which is really good. And I'll put a link in that in the show notes for people. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, it's because we have this very unique opportunity right now. Very unique. I always I, I'm a writer, and so the words very unique don't go together. <laughs> we have a wonderfully unique opportunity right now 
to step into a future that is not like our past mm-hmm. and and it will be different and unless we are conscious about the questions we ask we're going to ask the same questions that created the same systems that led us to think that it is effective and efficient to not spend time getting to know each other uh, oh good now we're finally all together in the room we can uh, eliminate all of that and get mm-hmm. back to normal and while people are acknowledging that maybe normal isn't necessarily what we all want to get back to, if we don't have alternatives, that's what we'll go back to. And so it is really, really important right now that we work to, to again, change the questions at the heart of the assumptions that guide all of our everyday work, all of our workplaces, um, because, mm-hmm. because otherwise we will go back. It's the only system we know. So it's the only thing we've got. We'll go back to that. I feel like we might, there'll be, because New Zealand, of course, we, we, um, managed to get rid of COVID pretty quickly. We yeah. were only in lockdown for a very, really relatively short period of time. In fact, we all had a little bit of a holiday and everyone mm-hmm. was pretty chilled and laid back and, and, uh, uh, but then we had a bit of a shock when it, we got a little bit of a leak and it came back and, and Auckland went straight back down into lockdown again. And so, and so we've, we've become a little more precious again. But what I noticed was that because we weren't in lockdown very long, mm-hmm. we bounced back really quickly. Right. And, and ironically, uh, we live in the South Island and we'd actually flown to the North Island and, and when restrictions just eased a little bit and we were there at, the time so we flew up in in level three or two or whatever it was and then we flew back and they said oh no it's all good now well the total difference in the way we were treated at the airport and on the plane itself was disgraceful actually I was I was quite shocked that how quickly we became rude again wow yeah. It, it was it was actually really disheartening. I didn't, you know, I thought, oh, we haven't been shocked enough here yet. And and so I do think that there will be a level of bounce back, but I'm I'm also hoping that we've sunk in along a little bit that there'll be an element and that that will grow in time. Yeah. And 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 one of the interesting things is that we don't realize the power we have as individuals to change the systems that we operate in. And again, our tagline of change the questions, change the world. Uh, imagine a, so, so I talked early on about the first question being about where we aim. Are we aiming at the problems and reacting to the problems? And our brains just think about deep diving into how bad things are and feel the adrenaline and feel the muscles tense. That's how our brains work. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be a tiger coming at us for us to react with with adrenaline. Uh, that our brains, the, the pile of work on our desk can do the same thing. Imagine you're in a staff meeting. You're, quote, just a person in a staff meeting. You don't have any positional authority whatsoever. And you can feel the energy in the room going into the weeds and getting more and more granular. And people are arguing and they're not comfortable. And the ability to say, okay, I, I get what the problem is, what would good look like on the other side of that? What do we really want to aim at that is is powerful and good? What future do we want to see, regardless of what the issue is? And, and what happens is you watch the energy change in the room. Mm. And the more 
you can practice those questions. And if you're going to link to the, to the article, there's actually a PDF at the end of the article that has a bunch of questions that folks can be asking. The more we practice asking those questions, listening for when the energy in the room is getting uh, uh, tense and being able to ask some of those questions of, of, well, you know, who else cares about what we care about? Could we possibly work with them? Oh, wow. You know, there is that group that's doing, okay. Uh, It's, we all have the ability. We, We talk about it at Creating the Future as leading from the middle because we all have the power to change a single question and it changes everything. It's, it's yeah I, I'm, I'm actually excited I, I'm, I'm going to go and download that pdf and maybe I'll blow it up somewhere and shove it in front of my face because I I'm a, I'm a big one for I, I love to change I love to grow it seems to be what I'm driven to do and I am so convinced that we need to change the way our systems our business systems our the way we communicate and treat people I I just and I love this whole movement and and what you're doing this work is really exciting so congratulations and thank you so much I I didn't even get to talk about your TEDx talk which I loved by the way Um, and 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 actually just briefly because I'll put a link into that as well in the show notes for everybody because it really it's it's really worth watching but the the analogy in there which maybe I may not spoil but the analogy of getting to the airport on time Mm-hmm. and and using that oh my goodness did that resonate with me well, so it, and it really is you know it's in in three seconds or less it really is the fact that we think of the future as this big hairy unknown thing that's out there and when you break it down the exact same way you would break down getting to the airport on time no one says oh getting to the airport that's in the future i don't know how to do that no, we know exactly what it would take. It's going to take us an hour here. It's going to take us a half an hour to do that. And I need to leave the house at such and such a time. You know, we do that all the time and we can do it in everything. Yeah, beautiful. What a fabulous place to, to end on this wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Judy. This has been energizing for me as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope not too energizing. I'm, it's getting late in your day, so you need to get some sleep. But anyway, <laughs> thank you very, very much. Absolutely. You enjoy the rest of your day as well. I hope you enjoyed that and got as much as I did from it. It's so inspiring. We all have the ability to change our world. Hildy and I continue to chat and the upshot, we have a part two. In that we talk about how we can change the way we work with others. So hit subscribe so you don't miss it. See you next time on Thrivable Biz. Thrivable Biz.